0: All right, good morning. If you could open your Bibles to John chapter 12, we're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, today. Last week we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, fulfilling a prophecy that had been over 550 years before Jesus was born. And we looked at Daniel chapter 24 through 27, which is really the, the outline, if you will, of end time events. And in fact, it's that verse that really all the other end time prophecies in the Bible are really framed around because it's so clear the timeline that God gives for the end time events. And, and I love that, that God didn't just set us into the world and, and, and put his spirit into us and said, okay, kids, go and have fun. No, he, he made sure that we understood what was coming. Because we're here for a purpose, right? We're here to warn people and also to encourage them, to encourage them to consider Jesus Christ as we have and thank God that He has saved us. Aren't you glad that you're saved? Aren't you glad that He loves you in spite of everything that you are and in your mistakes, even your sin that maybe you even committed today? Obviously, we don't set out to do those things, but when we do, we have an advocate in heaven Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our advocate, He's our mediator. And so we can trust in him for all things, and so be encouraged in that and so when we looked at that, uh, it was a pretty fascinating prophecy um, and, and and someone in the uh, Sir Robert Anderson actually and, and, and another gentleman that i that uh, I'm aware of um, was really the the foundation of that whole thing, meaning they, they discovered this prophecy and they they did the math and, and they figured it out and and the Bible says in Daniel that in the last days, that knowledge would increase, that people will go to and fro, and that knowledge of the scriptures would increase, and it truly is happening. The, the closer we get to Jesus' return for the church, um, the more things, he, he's opening things, and he's just continually peeling this onion for us and for the world to see, just to herald his, his arrival and and uh, so be thankful for that. So we looked at that last week, and then we got down through verse 19. Now, if you look at your Bibles, you notice that 19, verse 19, goes right into verse 20. And we know that there are a couple of events. If we look at a, a chronology or a, a harmony of the Gospels, there are some events that take place in between certain sections in the Bible. So when you look at the Gospels, understand that they are a, um, they can fit together like a puzzle if you take them all into account. And, and men have done that, and, and they've come to figure out there is a chronology to this, and they were able to fit the jigsaw puzzle together. And it's so wonderful to get a harmony of the Gospels and read things chronologically. And what that does is it takes all four Gospels and just kind of lays them out that way. And so, between verses 19 and 20, there are two events that aren't recorded here, but they're recorded in Matthew and also in Mark's Gospel. And they are the Jesus cursing the fig tree. You remember that he cursed the fig tree. And uh, the next day he saw there was no leaves on it, no figs, and his disciples were in awe of that. And also, Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus, when when his ministry first began, he started off with cleansing the temple. And then immediately after his triumphal entry, that the very next day, he goes back into Jerusalem. And it's not recorded uh, in, in, in here, but it is in Mark and Matthew. And it says that Jesus went in there to cleanse the temple a second time before his crucifixion. And isn't it amazing? The first time he comes, he has to cleanse the temple. From all of its, uh, you know, what started off as something so uh, innocent, or should have been innocent and pure... Man got a hold of it and turned it into something. It became a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer. And Jesus upbraided them for that. And so it's amazing how things start, and then once man gets comfortable in the routine of religion, he starts to make up his own rules. No longer is it about God, it becomes about me and and my experience in it. And that's always a danger. And that's the state of Israel during the time that we're reading now in Jesus' time. And so Jesus, he comes in and he cleanses the temple the second time, just days before they would finally say, you know what, that's it. And that's really what happened. When he came in, he rode in on the donkey, fulfilling the prophecies that he held them accountable for. And then when he went in the next day to cleanse the temple from all of its chicanery and all of its bribery and all of its uh, worthless stuff, the Pharisees, the religious leader says, you know what, we've had enough of this guy. We're going to kill him. <laughs> we're going to put him to death. And that's exactly what they conspired to do. They just couldn't handle it anymore. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. They're like, the Rubicon in their heart had been crossed. We're going to, we're going to go after him. And, that, and go after him they did. And do you think that was any surprise to Jesus? No. <laughs> he knew that that is exactly what would happen. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes right he is the shepherd you can't pull the wool over his eyes he's the one who controls history in fact it's his story doesn't belong to us it's his his story and so he's the one who is the mover and the shaker not anybody in the middle east nobody in in the world he is the mover and the shaker and i love that about him and aren't you glad you're on his side (laughs) i am i'm really glad And it's okay to make a little noise. It's okay. (laughs) So let's read now. Um, So those two things have happened, the the fig tree being uh, shriveling up, and then the cleansing of the temple. And then right in verse 20, it picks up right after that. It says, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also." And if anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came into this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted high, lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. And the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus answered to them and said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, and here's the quote from Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal him. And these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. And so we see Israel living in unbelief. They're, they were spiritually blind. And spiritual blindness is something that happens even today. You can you can follow. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you're not really fellowshiping with Jesus, if you're not really born again, you are spiritually blind. You don't understand the things that are happening. I, do you remember when you first gave your heart to Christ and as you started reading the Bible, all of a sudden it just came to life? It's like and that happened to me. Perhaps you had the same experience. I had read it before and I grew disinterested in it. I didn't understand it. I just I read it and I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, good for you. <laughs> didn't mean anything to me. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God indwells me and everything is just leaping off the page. And I'm just like, I can't read it enough. I almost failed my senior year in college because my 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 major was changing. <laughs> I was going for classical guitar performance. I was a classical guitar player. And that was my goal in life. And the Lord's going, oh, I got something different for you. So my major was changing underneath and and. and what an awkward timing, too. Because I was losing heart in what I was doing, and I was gaining a, a great enjoyment and, uh, with the Lord and his word, and just growing and loving it, and just loving it. And I would encourage you to continue loving the word of God. If, you're, if you struggle with it, just pray. Say, Lord, open my heart, open my mind, and give me that joy again of my salvation, and, and help me to love your word again. And he'll, he'll do that. He'll do that. And just get alone with him just get along with them but let's let's look back at verse 20 because there's a lot here and so we're going to be talking about as we get into this we're going to be looking at the blindness spiritual blindness so this is in verse 20 there was a certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast and obviously the feast that's being spoken of is the Passover feast it was the very last of three passovers that Jesus Uh, had during his ministry, in his final one. It would just be days from here that he would be uh, wrongfully uh, arrested and crucified. But you remember what Jesus said, and and underline the word Greeks in this, because the prophecy of God is already starting to begin to be fulfilled, because notice uh, what it says in John chapter 10. You can put this footnote off the side of your Bible. Because uh, Jesus said in John 10, verse 15, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And notice, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. And them I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. It's speaking of the church, made up of Jew and Greeks, or Jew and Gentile. So already, Jesus is drawing people. Even, he had the Jews there. Unfortunately, they, they weren't listening. But the Greeks, the Jews, or the Gentiles, excuse me, they would hear. And they were coming already to find out who this one was. And so the Lord's prophecy is beginning to come to fruition. And you and I, most of us are Gentiles in this room, and, and we're a, a part of this prophecy, a fulfillment of that prophecy. You're here. I'm a Gentile. Hallelujah. <laughs> So it was, it was uh, significant. And, and so, verse 2, it says, Then they came to Philip, who was uh, from Bethsaida. And Bethsaida, remember, is that village on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, and it says that, um, and they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And um, you know what? I and underline that. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Because remember when we were speaking last week. After after the triumphal entry, the Pharisees said to themselves, themselves, Look, the world has gone after him. And sir, we would see Jesus. Would to God that people sought Jesus. He is the solution. He is the the author and the finisher of your faith. He is your savior. He is your creator. Why wouldn't you want to know the one that you're going to spend an eternity with? And why wouldn't you want to know the one whom you ultimately will stand before, the judge of all the earth, and I want to be on his side? Yes, out of fear. (laughs) One of the things that brought me to Christ initially was fear, because I was going to hell. And I knew I was going to go to hell if I died. But aren't you glad for his wonderful magnanimous grace, where he just reaches into your heart and just melts you? And then you know you're you're no longer bent. I'm going to that place. You're not going to that place anymore once you're born again. You're, you're safe in his arms. Like that sheep, that, hold, that shepherd that holds the sheep that has run away, he holds it in his arms and he takes it back to the fold. And we are that, those people. But would to God that more people desire to see him because there's no one who can reconcile you back to God the Father, Jesus the mediator, He is the only one. And you know, different people have different motives for wanting to see Jesus. Some truly want to seek Him for salvation and to have a relationship with Him, while others just want to see a miracle. They just want to have Him to do something for Him. You know, it's sort of like when a relative becomes rich. You know, they win the Powerball. And all of a sudden, all the relatives are calling up, Hey, what's happening? Yeah, 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 my car broke down, yeah. Yeah, it broke down. But, you know, I got this, my eye is on this uh, Land Rover. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. You know, and so we they come to him for wrong motives. They just want something from them. They want to receive some miracle. They want to be uh, tickled. And you remember that this was nothing new, because when Jesus stood before Herod, Herod Antipas, what happened? Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired notice for a long time to see him. He sought him too for the right reasons. He wanted to see him because he had heard many things about him and hoped to see some miracle done by him. He He wanted to be tickled. He wanted to be entertained. Entertain me, Jesus. And Jesus will not entertain you. He will love you. And He will save you, and he will encourage you, but he's not there to entertain. So are you seeking the Lord for salvation and forgiveness? And I say that to the, 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 the choir, because most of you are say, "Amen, and I know that, but there are others who will be listening. Are you seeking Him for salvation and forgiveness, or just to get out of the mess that you're currently in, or to have him fix your marriage? Or to have him fix your financial situation because of the stress that you're in. Lord, just fix my marriage. Fix that woman that you gave me, Lord. Or, Lord, fix that husband who's just a rotten tyrant. Fix him, Lord, and then I'll come to you. I'll do anything you want. Just fix that man before I drown him in the pool. Right? (laughs) What are you seeking Jesus for? And why is it? And there's nothing wrong with asking for those things. But some people have selfish motives. Some people see him as a talisman for good luck or some kind of lucky rabbit's foot. You know, if I just rub this thing hard enough, God, just help me out, help me out here. You know, and you, you pull the rabbit's foot out. He, he's not going to adhere to any of that. He is not any of those things. He is your Lord and Savior, and we should treat him and respect him as such and honor him, worship him, so, verse 22, Philip came to him, uh, came to and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, but Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Remember, there is a time that it wasn't his, or I'm sorry, there, there was a time that it wasn't his hour, and then there was a time when it was his hour. And obviously, we're not talking about a 60-minute Hour. We are talking about an indeterminate amount of time that really spanned a, a number of days, a few days at the very least. We see that in John chapter 7. Remember, there was a time it wasn't his time. Early in his ministry, it says, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Not a 60-minute hour, but his time when he would come to save and and to pay the price, the penalty for sin on the cross for you and I. And then in John chapter 8, verse 19, what does it say? And and the the Pharisees, speaking to Jesus, they said, Well, where is your father? And Jesus answered them, You know neither me nor my father. For if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And notice, and no one laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. But yet, in this verse, here in verse 23, it says, my hour has come. We also see it, we're going to see, after we get through uh, John chapter 12, we get into the very last supper, just hours away. From what we're reading now, in John chapter 13, at that last supper, what did Jesus tell his disciples? It says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, and then in John chapter 17, at the end of that last supper, hours that he spent with his disciples that night before he was finally arrested and crucified. What did it say in his high priestly prayer? Jesus spoke these words in John 17, verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and yet your Son may also glorify you. There was a time, and the time was now. There was a time when it wasn't, but now there is a time that it is, the hour In verse 24, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Much grain. We know this, that when a grain of wheat falls into the ground, what does it do? It falls on the ground, it dies, and then it begins to germinate in the ground, and it produces more grain. That's the way it works. There has to be a death before there can be life. And Jesus' death and resurrection, well, he would be the first fruits of what would happen to us later on. In fact, we still are awaiting that resurrection. That resurrection. Jesus was the first fruits when he died on the cross and, was, and rose again. But then we know that there's coming a time it could happen today, and I hope it does before I even say another word. That he would come for us and we will meet him in the clouds. Our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And there's also another resurrection. At the end of the great tribulation period, the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. But Jesus' death and resurrection, he was the grain of wheat that would fall into the ground and it would produce more grain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 you recall this chapter I'd encourage you to read it It says in verse 20 but now Christ is risen from the dead he died his grain if you will went into the ground but now he and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died for since by man came death by man also came the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die "...even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order." Notice that. Christ, the firstfruits, and then those who are Christ at his coming. That's you and I and those at the end of the tribulation period. And then in verse 35 of that same chapter, he says, "...but someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body will do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies." And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. You and I have a terrestrial body. Jesus had a terrestrial body. But when he died and he went into the tomb, guess what? God gave him a new body. You know how we know that? Because this body had characteristics that we don't possess. That body that that Jesus rose on the third day, that body wasn't, it'll, it'll live forever. It was made of flesh and bone, energized by the Spirit of God. It was able to pass through physical structures. Was the tomb rolled away so that Jesus could get out because he couldn't get through? He's in a cage? No. He was gone before they opened the tomb. He was able to pass through. The very night of his resurrection, they had the doors closed, and Jesus appeared. So there's a quality, a supernatural quality about this body. It's a celestial body. And, but, and that's the kind of body you and I are going to receive when we meet him in the air at the rapture, in the clouds. And that's the same body that the, those who are dead in Christ, who will rise before us, they will receive the same body. Are you encouraged about that? Are you looking forward to that upgrade that you don't have to pay for? I love it. But we're also to die to ourselves, aren't we? When we die to ourself, our, body, our, our, our will is like grain, if you will. It's like this grain of wheat that falls under the ground, and then it produces something. Well, when we die to ourselves, the same thing happens. Because those, not only for us, but for those who are observing our lives. That's why it's important for us to die to ourselves. We need to put off the old deeds of the flesh and put on the new man, Christ Jesus, right? Because people are watching. What did Paul tell the Ephesians? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't know, is anybody um, aware of evil days? We're living in them. And they have become increasingly more evil. So it's time for me to go, oh my goodness. (laughs) I need to get really serious about my walk with him. And you should. Because he's tying up the loose ends before he returns. And he's coming very soon, folks. He's coming soon. And you're a new creation. When you gave your heart to Christ, the old man died, and now you are a new creature in Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians in 5 verse 7 he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Notice, old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. They're new right now. I'm just waiting for the new body part of it. And I'm looking forward to that. Well, let's go back into our text this morning. In verse 25, it says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you have to underline this word, hates, because this is significant to understand. Otherwise, your theology, your understanding of God is going to get all whacked. And here it is. That, ver- that word is, in the Greek word, meseo, and it literally means to detest, certainly, but it means to love less. It doesn't mean that you have to hate your life, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, it just means that your life with Christ is, ought to be the preeminent thing. And my life, the things that I wanted to do, my goal for my life was something different, and I said no to that, and yes to Christ. Now some people have a job, and they, they, they can be faithful where God has placed them, and he's got a call on everyone, so it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. Just be faithful where you're at. And he's faithful to move you or not move you. You just be a light because people need to hear. They need to see. So don't just jump ship when you get saved in your job. Stay there until the Lord moves you. And he may not move you. He may need you there. And you continue to be a light. But that's what it means. It means to love less. We see this in other passages in the Bible. In Luke, for instance, uh, chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when most people read that, they run away with it and they, in tears. And then they go up to their father and mother and slap them on the face and say, I hate you. <laughs> Is that what he's saying? Obviously not. It's the same word, meseo. It means to love less. It means my relationship with God ought to be so great that it appears like hatred to the rest of everybody else because the love and the adoration, the devotion to him is so great. But it doesn't mean that you love less. You're, you're, you know, um, well, well, yes, you do love them less, but you still love them. God doesn't require you to hate them. In fact, he wants you to love them, but your relationship with Christ ought to be much greater. Does that make sense? It's, it's just a, 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 an unfortunate English translation that can lead us to some wrong ideas about the nature of God, so it's important for us to know that. Important for us to know that. So verse twenty six If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also, and if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Notice that the relationship here is tantamount. This is what it's all about. And it's a, a relationship of a master and an apprentice a master and an apprentice that's what we are to be are you willing to serve jesus christ are you a disciple of his or are you just a christian but you have no Id- you have no desire to be a disciple do you know you can be that your life's going to be somewhat miserable And you may even doubt your salvation because there's no fruit in your life, because you don't want to deserve him. You don't want to really draw near to him. You've got your fire insurance by receiving salvation, and that's all you care about. But your life is a complete disaster other than that. And it's because you have no desire to serve him. Are you serving him? Are you a disciple of his? A disciple is somebody who purposely follows the master. It's like if somebody has a a trade and you got a young guy coming up, that young guy is looking at everything that you're doing. I think of, you know, um, in construction, you know, you get some 14, 15-year-old kid who wants to learn what this guy knows, and he's, he's been doing it for his, in his 50s, and he knows all the tricks of the trade. He's got all the tools. He knows how to do things. You know, he, he, he knows how to, you know, the saw blade is a certain width, and you've got to make sure that you take that into account when you cut it, otherwise you're going to be a quarter inch or an eighth inch short. He knows all these little things, and the young man is looking, and he's learning, and he's learning, and he's learning, and he's learning because someday he's going to take his master's place. Someday that other guy is going to get old, and he can't move. As much. And he's going to be letting that young man take over. And that's the relationship. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Because, see, we're all serving someone. We're either serving ourselves or we're serving Satan. Which, really, if you're serving yourself, you're really serving him because anything other than Christ is satanic. If you're not serving Christ, you're in a lot of trouble. In 1979, Bob Dylan wrote this song called Gotta Serve Somebody. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may, be, you may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a, strong, a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So who are you serving? Who are you serving today? Serve Jesus. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. And Jesus was very much aware of, of what was what was entailed in this. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, notice, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Was Jesus uh, amazed at what was coming? No, he knew. But he knew for the joy that was set before him. And the joy was to reconcile a bride, to reconcile a people that had fallen prey to Satan in a life of unbelief. He reconciled us and then he's one day going to present you and I flawless to the Father. And that joy is what was set before him. I believe. And he's like, this is all so worth it. I'm not excited about it. I despise the shame. I've done nothing wrong. I'm perfect. And yet I'm going to pay the price for the most vile thing that mankind has ever done. For the serial killer, for the rapist, for the murderer, for the drug addict. I'm going to pay the price for every single one of those sins, even though I never did any of them. You see, many people... You know, he, he, did, he didn't die just for a good cause. Because many people throughout history have been crucified. Thousands of people have been crucified. But do you know that unlike anyone else, Jesus was the only one to take the sin of the world upon himself? Yes, we, we know this. But what does it say in Corinthians? For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And Isaiah says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's what the Scripture says. There's no one like Him. No one like Jesus. And this is why in the Garden of Gethsemane, not long after the time that we are looking at now, that Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a while, a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, I'm not looking forward to this, but I know it has to be done. But if there is any other way, please, not as I will, not as I will, but as you will. And when he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, "What Could you not watch with me for one hour? In verse 28, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus was always doing those things to please the Father. He says, I always do those things. What a wonderful servant. What a wonderful son. And as sons and daughters of the great king, ought we not to have that same heart? To say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to do. I want to be your servant. I don't care what it is. And you know, don't worry that he's going to send you into some you know, African nation where there's lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You know, and you're going to be in, in this little grass hut, and you're going to be plagued with malaria, and he's going to expect... You know, don't worry about where he's going to send you or what he's going to do with you. Certain people have that calling, and other most of us don't. But we are to be faithful in the things that he calls us to And therefore, verse 29, The people who stood and heard it said that it had thundered. Another said, An angel had spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Notice that God does these things not to show off his ability. He doesn't do miracles. He doesn't doesn't do this sign, in a sense, to boast of himself. No, why, why did he do it? He did it for the people. That they might come to understand, and that's God's heart. He's not, he doesn't need to show off. You and I need to show off because we like to make our ourselves look better than what we really are. But God says, I, "I am all that. Thank you very much." And he's right. He's a God Almighty. He has every right to boast in himself, but, but there's no arrogance, there's no pride because it's just the facts. It's just the facts. Now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And the sin of the world was about to be atoned for. We know that just days from then. And Satan and his program will be defeated on the cross. He has already been defeated, but there's still uh, things happening right now. But ultimately, there's going to be a time where not only Satan himself, but also his works, his program will be judged once and for all, and we'll never have to see him or deal with him ever again. And I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? In a world that is just ravaged by sin, even in the church, sin just ravaging it. And people not walking with the Lord and not walking close to him and falling prey to things, and we're susceptible, that's why we need to pray. We need to be serious. That's why we need to take, our, take on the armor of God, because those darts are going to come after you. You need to have the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need these things to combat the things that are coming at us. At lightning speed now, more than ever, the deceptions all around us breaking our hearts. Verse 32, and Jesus said, And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And Jesus, of course, is speaking of his crucifixion. And in the Romans, they would actually... um, They would have what they call a patibulum, and that's the the, the main bar that will go across the arms. They would have a pole in the ground, and then they would strap the the patibulum, this long piece of wood ranging from 75 to 125 pounds of weight, and then they would just hang you up on that thing. And Jesus would be lifted up between heaven and earth as he was suspended there between the heaven and earth. And the earth. And this he said, notice verse 33, signifying by what death he should die. The Jews, you know this, their form of capital punishment was stoning, but the Romans, they crucified. They learned it from the Persians, they invented it, but then the Romans came and they mastered the art of crucifixion. Horrible, horrible, uh, waited to die. And so, verse 34, the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And see, the Jews knew that Jesus Christ, they knew that the Messiah had to be God in the flesh. They knew that he had to live eternally. And so they had a struggle with this idea of Jesus dying on the cross, but they failed to understand that the prophecies in the Old Testament even spoke of his resurrection. Like Psalm 16, verse 10, you know, and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, these, these scriptures that we we're not going to go into. But, um, you know, you can write these down, but it speaks of that. But, it, but, but they understood that he was uh, alive forevermore. Because in, in Daniel chapter um, uh, 7, in the very last verse, uh, 14, uh, it says, Then to him was given, and it's speaking of Christ, to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom and all peoples and nations and language to serve him. His dominion is what? An everlasting dominion. It's not just going to last for a thousand years, folks. It's going to go way on beyond that. Which cannot pass away. It's not going to pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Not be destroyed. So then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. I am the light, Jesus said. I will, I will be with you a while longer, and walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. If you're not a believer, you're, 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 like, you're walking around in the dark. You're stumbling around because you have no idea where you're going, what your purpose is. And that's a really unsettling thing for anyone to go through. That's why it's important to, to, be, to give your heart to Christ. Give your heart to Christ today. Don't wait any longer. You don't have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed. So, verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and departed, and he was hidden from them. And then going into verse 37, But although he had done so many of these signs before them, they did not believe in him. And see, the witnessing of miracles doesn't necessarily save anyone or bring someone to a saving faith. What did it say in John 6, verse 29? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Notice that you believe in Him whom God has sent. Therefore they said to Him, What sign, what miracle will you perform then that we may see it and then believe in you? What work will you do? What they were basically saying is, we hold to the idea that seeing is believing. And many people today do as well. Many people in the church, not maybe not any of you, but in the church globally, in, 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 or at least nationally, there are people who believe that seeing is believing. They, 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 don't, they still don't get it. And yet, this is the mantra of every man, that show me and then I'll believe. Show me and then I'll believe. But they had it all wrong because it's actually believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. Because once you believe, then your eyes are open, and then everything becomes clear. And I know this to be true for myself. What does it tell us in Hebrews? Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not yet seen. It's a substance of things hoped for, and there's evidence, but yet it's of, of things not yet seen yet. But you have this confidence, this assurance And that's what faith is. It's not really tangible, something you can hold on to, but that's what faith is. But when you believe, then you see. But the world says, no, I want to see, and then I'll believe. And God says, no, you have to believe, and then you will see. Didn't he tell um, Nicodemus? He said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There has to be something that happens first. You need a new nature. You need to be born again, and then you can see But if I'm unregenerate, if I'm unsaved, I am not going to see it. And I can tell you firsthand that that was my experience. I read the Bible, or I tried to, when I was not even saved. My grandmother had a Bible, and I remember reading it, and I'd read a few, a little bit, and then I'd I'd read a little more, thinking that you know I could you know to earn something. I'm like I'll prove to God that I'm holy, and so I'll read more, and then finally I'm just like you know whatever but no it wasn't until after i got saved i believed and then i saw and remember that because that's the way it has to be if you if you can't see if you're not if you're spiritually blind then maybe you haven't received christ because the spirit of god who indwells you making you a believer it's his job to make you see but first you have to believe and that's an act of faith and that faith i believe is even given to you by god some can argue with me but i don't care I think that God gives me everything. He gives me the capacity to believe, right? And even with, with, with Abraham, you know, God in Genesis 15 told Abraham, you know, Abraham, uh, you're going to inherit all of this land. And as look out and see the stars, because uh, as, the, as the stars are innumerable in number, so is, the, is your seed. I'm going to multiply you, Abraham. And Abraham was an old man. And he's like, yeah, right. But he didn't do that. He didn't say that. God told him, this is what I'm going to do, Abraham. See the stars? So shall your seed be. All your people who will come out of you are innumerable as the stars of the heavens. And what does it say? And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed, and now he sees, even though he didn't see it yet. Right. What does it tell us in Hebrews chapter 11? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you see that? Abraham and many people, including you and I, we rest in promises that God has made, but we believe by faith because we haven't seen it yet, but we know that it's coming. I know that Christ is coming for us. Why? Is it just because, you know... You know, pie in the sky? No. It's 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 written to us very clearly, very plainly in many areas. Oh my goodness, the types in the Bible of 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 Christ coming for us are there. And so we have to wake up and believe. Are we spiritually blind or are we alive and kicking? <laughs> are you alive in Christ? Are you kicking but although, verse 37, he had done so many signs before them, notice, they did not believe in him, yet that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a direct quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. One of the most significant Old Testament uh, passages, and yet the Jews, they didn't understand it because they weren't enlightened. They, didn't, they, they were still spiritually slugger, Sluggard? (laughs) Dull of hearing? Unbelieving? And therefore, verse 39, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And here he's quoting from Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Now, does God want to open people's eyes and heal them? Of course he does. But the person has to make the decision about what they're going to do with what they've heard. And you and I can hear, and I, I, I remember this myself. I heard the gospel so many times, but my, I was dull of hearing. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And the miracle of miracles is, is that one day I did, and I have no idea why. That's a mystery of God, but I did then, and here I am today. So it's a mystery of mysteries. I don't, I don't quite get it. But there's a time when God says, you know what? That's why he says, don't cast your pearls before a swine. There's a time when you share with somebody and they're just not ready to hear it because they're so wrapped up in their sin. They're so wrapped up in their unbelief. You know, you know and you, you can only do this by the spirit of God, you know, to have an, a, an understanding, an inkling, an unction, if you will, of, you know what? I'm just wasting my time right now. I'll come back. <laughs> and that's kind of what God did. It's kind of what Jesus did. Their eye, Their ears, their eyes were just... He's like, they just don't understand. This is why Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. Because their hearts were dull and unbelieving. He would give them something, but they weren't able to handle the truth yet. So he spoke to them in parables. And you can look at Matthew 10. We don't have time to go there. Um, Well, let me just read the 10 through uh, 17. And the disciples came and they said to Jesus... um, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, and he, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given and will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even that what he has will be taken away from him. That doesn't sound like the Lord, does it? But what he's talking about is their, their attitude toward these things. If, if, they, if their hearts are engaged, God is, he wants to do everything to encourage But we have a a way to harden our hearts, don't we? We do. We do have that ability. In fact, it tells us in... um, You remember with Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And then one time, uh, actually on five different occasions in Exodus, it says, then God hardened his heart. Affirming his hardened heart that he had chosen... And what an unfortunate thing for it to happen to anyone when they're just obstinate. They're like, no, I'm going to harden my heart. And finally God says, okay. Is that the decision that you've made? Okay. And that's why it's so dangerous for us to harden our hearts today. Because we don't know if that's going to be our last time that we're going to have an opportunity I look back on my life and I see the times that have been shared, the Gospels has been shared with me, and I look back at them and that now I see them as precious gifts that I shunned and I shunned and I shunned, and for God's mystery of mysteries, one day I finally said, yes. I have no idea how that happened. I can't even take credit for it. But I did. I received him. But there are a lot of people today that claim they are believers, but, they're, but they are not. Then you know, it tells us in Timothy in verse 5 there, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They have a form of godliness, they love going to church, they love going through the motions, they love going through the the liturgy, and they love going through all these things, but there's no relationship, it's just all stained glass, and it's all statues, and and praying the rosary, and and yes, and I'm talking about Catholicism, because unfortunately, and that happens not only in Catholicism, but even in Protestant churches, people get used to the routine of things, and they're just kind of like, just going through the motions, but there's nothing going on inside. And Jesus, at this time, was speaking to Israel, who had fallen into the same trap. They had gotten used to the, the services, they had gotten used to the things, and and they just got into the and are like, you know what? Then if I just do this, then I'm good with God. And God's like, no, that's just the beginning. Our gatherings like this are just the beginning because we take it home. We listen to it again, maybe, or we 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 look at our notes that we've written, and we look at those scriptures, and it changes us. That's what it's supposed to do right i got to remember to smile every now and then because sometimes these it can get a little thick right but it's true it's true and even in romans you don't have to go there but let me just read to you romans verse 24 and this is a scary thing therefore god and speaking about unbelievers Who are bent on sin and not repentance, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Notice, he gave them up to uncleanness. That doesn't sound like God, does it? Well, he's affirming what they what they want so bad. Now are they hopeless and helpless? No. If they really cry out, God will meet them. But he gives people up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts for a season. And if they don't repent, they're going to be in a lot of trouble to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Are we seeing that today amongst the homosexual community and even in the heterosexual community? They've given themselves God will if we don't repent and turn from that, there is a time and God help us if we ever in that place where God says, "Is that what you really want? Then I'm going to let you taste it for all its worth." And hopefully I'll see you on the other side of this. (laughs) God also gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another, Men men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, notice God gave them over to a debased mind that's why they don't make any sense that's why all the stuff that's going on makes no sense at all they fight and they fight and they fight no marriages can be anything you know and god says no marriage is between a man and a woman no but we want it to be a man and a man and a woman and a woman and a man and a dog or whatever you want to you know your macbook pro i don't know what you know there's actually a man who married his mac i just got to tell you that so um no kidding this is a true story But he gives them over to a debased mind. But thank God, you and I have been washed. And see, this is why we have to share. This is why we have to warn people. The people we love. Warn them. Don't make them feel good. Believe me, the feeling good comes after. You can be nice, and you ought to be loving and nice when you share these things, but it's going to cut right to the quick. And it's going to be hard. The the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between the bones and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. Believe me, it's not easy, but the pain has to come first, and then there's joy. The the labor pains, and then the baby. And we have to die to ourselves and acknowledge our sin before we can have the joy of salvation and the, the wonderful world that God has given to us and to live and to walk in the light with him and as, as walk in the light as he is in the light, and then we'll have fellowship with one another. Isn't that what we desire to do? Yes. Let's finish these last few verses. I apologize for keeping you longer. Sort of. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And there's a the problem with proud, proud man. We can't see God, so we'll please man, because man, we can see, and we have to deal with them every day, but we're unconscious of the fact that Almighty God is there, and he's very much aware of what we're doing and what we're feeling. Even the words that we think, he already knows what they are. That's kind of scary if you think about it. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. This is, this is speaking of the unity of the Father and the Son. They are one. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three in one. God in three persons. God Almighty. One God, but God in three persons. The Trinity that we know of. And I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And that is true. In his first advent, when he was first born, he came to save the world. But we also know that there's coming a time, and these scriptures will attest to that, that God is going to come back to the earth for judgment. After the church is removed, we're going to be with him for seven years while he's pouring out his wrath on a world. But when he comes back, oh, believe me, there's going to be judgment. Actually, there's judgment on the earth, but he is going to be the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, to this world and its system and Satan himself. It's a very real thing and it's coming. And he who rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That last day is when he comes back. Not only when he comes back in his second full coming physically to the earth, but at the end of that thousand year reign, the great white throne judgment, that will be the day, the final judgment for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should what I should say and what I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever sp- I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Notice the dependence upon God. A pen- dependence upon God. And we're going to end with this. Let me ask you this. You know, this, this whole section, we really kind of, focused in on this whole idea of blindness, you know, spiritual blindness. So what is the best way to combat unbelief and spiritual blindness? Number one, you need to be born again. I forgot to put that on there. I assumed that. But you need to read the Word of God. And these are all very simple things and yet we fight against it every day because life has taken over most of us and our schedules and calendars have overrun these things. You're going to have to fight to get these things back. But we need to read the Word of God and be a doer of it. Secondly, we need to pray and develop a rich prayer life. If you do that, you are going to be combating unbelief and spiritual blindness and get involved in serving Christ wherever it is. It could be here, it could be at the Father's heart, it could be any, any way. You could be serving your neighbor, you could be serving in your community, you could be doing something here, washing toilets and cleaning floors, vacuuming, You know, cleaning glass and spider web in, in the spiderwebs in the corners, which there are plenty, by the way, don't look. But get involved in serving and worship Him. Worship Jesus Christ and grow in your walk with Him. If you do those things, you are going to be combating unbelief and spiritual blindness. Do you want to see? I want to see. I want to see clearly. And you know what? He's given us that. By His Spirit, He's allowed us to see and to perceive the kingdom of God And we also perceive what is not the kingdom of God. Anybody notice the things that are not the kingdom of God? And the things that are? The things that are of him and the things that are not of him? Blessed is the person who does see. Because we believe. We believe and then we see. Not the other way around. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, pray that you would encourage us as we continue to grow in the faith and as we begin to put feet on these things that we have read this morning, these scripture references, Lord. May we look at them again and and be encouraged, be challenged, be even convicted, God. But would you do that work in us today, Father, and just continue to work in us. And Lord, bless us, Lord. I pray that everyone here would know just how much you love them. Lord, you love them so dearly and so much. And Lord, I pray that no one would leave here feeling condemned. But Lord, they would just be on fire and just set set up right again. Would you do that work in us, Jesus? How we love you and how we thank you. And Lord, just sort out all the crazy things in this life. Give us peace. Give us peace, Lord, and help us to know... Help us to fall in love with you more now than we've ever had in the past. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.